the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I've been to her apartment. Um, there's homeless, you know, it's right, um, it's right off the, off the tracks um, by uh, uh, Union Station. And it's a, you know, the part, if, you know, if the homeless weren't there, it'd be an awesome place. You know, I mean, it's a nice place. And from all appearances, when she leased it, it was a nice place. But all of a sudden, you know, now we hear that they've arrested 500 people at oh Union, 500 homeless at Union yeah. Station. And by the way, arrested them to merely put them right back out on the street because, exactly. as you know, nobody's yeah. fighting for any sort of bonds. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It'd be an awesome place to live because it's right across from Whole Foods, right across from King Super. Oh, I know that area. You that can, is really a nice yeah. area. You're right. That's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, from all appearances, you couldn't do better except that there's homeless people everywhere that are very scary because I – and I've – I've briefed her on it, you know. These people carry knives and guns and stay away from them, you know. Yeah, well, and and even if they're not armed with weapons, the judgment that they engage in, and even just being confronted for, hey, can you spare your purse or something like that. I mean, who oh, wants, yeah. to, who wants exactly. to go through that? Hey, I appreciate the call, Frank. Thank you for that. Yep. And uh, we're going to cut away for a quick break. We'll be back to be joined by, my hope is, Laura Carno of Faster. She's going to tell us about it. But then i got some questions about some things going on in the news and see what her expert opinion is on this. Until that time, you're listening to George Brockler filling in for the great Peter Boyles right here on 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you, filling in for the great and retiring Peter Boyles right now here on 710 KNUS. Just a quick update on, on yesterday's show. We played a clip from the Vice President Kamala Harris where I think the theme was the significance of the passage of time. Uh, I was with my youngest son, 12 years old, the snowboarder. Uh, last night we were watching Parks and Rec. We're trying to get through that series. It, By the way, it occurs to me that that may not be a 12-year-old appropriate show. So from time to time, I have to say, please don't ever repeat that. And then I don't answer his questions about what it means. But uh, I played for him that clip. It just happened to be up on my Twitter feed on my phone. And I said, what are you hearing here? And he said, she sounds a little crazy. That's a 12-year-old without any prompting. He doesn't know politics or anything. Like, she sounds a little crazy. I, I, I don't <laughs> – anyway, I'm going to figure out a way to incorporate that into a new show opening. Uh, listen, I am pleased as punch to invite back onto the show and to have her accept, which is crazy. It's just reckless on her part, part Laura Carno, who is an expert on a whole bunch of things, but she also runs an organization called – FASTER, which stands for Firearms Aster. I don't know what the rest of the letters stand for. Laura, are you there? <laughs> yes, I've never heard anybody describe it that way, but w- good morning. What does it stand for? <laughs> FASTER actually stands for Faculty Administrator oh, God, Safety Training and Emergency Response. Well, so firearms was just wholly wrong. Wholly wrong, yeah. It's, um, it, I like the word FASTER because when we're talking about school safety, uh, the faster that somebody can stop 
a killer, the faster that somebody can stop the bleeding, the fewer people will die. And um, and that's our mission at Faster Colorado. Now, for those who have not heard you before, and you've been on the radio all over the state of Colorado, and I think even nationally talking about this wonderful program, what was the genesis of it and how long have you been doing it? Yeah, so back in 2013, uh, many of your listeners will recall that we were uh, recalling state senators down in Colorado Springs and Pueblo over their gun control votes. During the 2013, during that recall election, some friends from Ohio with the Buckeye Firearms Association came out to help us. They just self-deployed and said, we want to help Colorado. Um, During that time, they said, hey, you should come see what we're doing uh, with Faster Saves Lives in Ohio. And so I I went back in uh, 2016 and and, uh, went through a class and came back and said, my goodness, we need to have this level of training for all of those wonderful armed school staffers that are in our K-12 campuses. And so uh, 2017 was our first year. We're entering our sixth training year this wow. year. We've um, driven 50 armed school staffers. How many? Say that again. You broke up for just a second. Sure. 250 uh, school staffers in Colorado's K-12 campuses. And th- those are the ones that work with us. We know that there are more than 250 because some of them um, who might be closer to a, a different firearms training facility um, might go somewhere else um, other uh, as opposed to where we train. But yeah, 250 that we work with. Um, couple things about what you said. Great description, by the way. Uh, those laws in 2013 that led to the recall of those legislators, including the Senate president, unprecedented in the history of the state of Colorado. Uh, those two laws have wonderfully reduced the amount of violent crime in the state of Colorado. Right. No, right. Kidding. They have not. Yeah, right. They have completely Gun not. crime has uh, dropped off the face of the earth after they did that magazine capacity limitation <laughs> and the background checks. We now see that gun crime is gone. Uh, the, the other thing I was going to say, and that's, of course, sarcasm. Uh, the other thing I was going to uh, ask you about is in those 250 educators, and there's more, as you said, what's the breakdown uh, metro area kind of versus rural that you're getting? Sure. And um, I'll give you a, a, a few different breakdowns. So um, we do have mostly rural school districts, and it's it's not um, hard to understand why rural school districts were early adopters. They know how far law enforcement support is from them. Um, they have uh, um, understood themselves to be the first responders for a very long time. So um, um, 60, 70-ish percent rural school districts, and the rest would be um, charter schools within more suburban uh, locations uh, because charter schools can make their own decision usually on um, security arrangements. So, so, so that's the breakdown. Denver the, Public the Schools other, and Aurora haven't signed up. <laughs> no, absolutely not. We we don't have any of the big um, urban or suburban uh, districts that have adopted these policies. We have had some suburban, large suburban school districts whose full time armed security people have come through our oh, class that's great. because it. Um, and, and it's not the entirety of the, the training that they need, but it is um, superior um, firearms, um, tactical, um, all, all kinds of different um, training that our active duty law enforcement guys teach. We're talking with Laura Carno from Faster. Is it Faster Colorado, just Faster? And is your title Executive Director, President, Czar? What, what do you call yourself? <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so um, folks can find out more information at fastercolorado.com. So we do have the Colorado designation in there. And we're a project of Denver's uh, Independence Institute. So um, when we raise money for this, and um, many of these school districts, most of them go through on full scholarships because the, the level of training that we offer um, costs money to put together and most of them can't afford it. Um, so we um, provide um, full or partial scholarships for, for school districts. Um, and that's where we raise money is through the Independence Institute and our friend John Caldera. Um, my my uh, agreement with him is that everything we raise for faster goes penny for um, penny straight to the, the scholarships for these folks to go through class. That's fantastic. So does it end up yeah. costing the participants much, if anything, to do this? Um, typically not the participants. Um, in many of the school districts, I, I mentioned that we're in our sixth training year. Um, many of the school districts and charter schools have now um, are now budgeting for their for their firearms training. It's a, a requirement um, of these armed staffers that they get um, a certain level and number of hours of training every year, and so they've started to budget for that just like they would budget for any of their training. Um, some of the little bitty schools think of, you know, along the, the borders of the uh, of the state um, where they might be busing kids in from an hour in any direction to get to that one rural school. Um, they're, just, they're per pupil um, budgets are so small um, because just because of how small the school districts are. And some of those who've been with us from the beginning still go through on full scholarships. But for the most part, um, uh, school districts will also pay for their ammunition. Um, some pay for their firearm. Um, many, mo- I would say most of the armed school staffers already have their own firearm when- because these are people who've been carrying um, outside of school campus with their concealed carry permit for years to decades, um, which is just, you know, their familiarity with firearms is part of why they say pick me to be on this security team. One one of the things that I wanted to bring you on for, in addition to talking about this great organization, is that self-defense is everywhere in the news these days, right? Whether it's the Kyle Rittenhouse case, whether it's this current trial going on in Arapahoe County where the peaceful protester brought his six-shooter and fired it off at a Jeep and hit a couple other protesters, or the case that just got dumped earlier this week by the Denver DA, uh, that's the one that everybody knows, that's Matthew Doloff, who shot and killed Lee Keltner um, during a confrontation that took place at another rally up in Denver. Um, I presume part of what you do isn't just train people on marksmanship or how to reload or clear a jam, but you talk to them about when and how to, um, I guess, defend themselves and the use of this stuff. What is it you're teaching them? And then if you would, and I'll let you go narrative a bit here, is when you look at these cases and when you look at what are the things that are going on, when you train these people, is what you hear, does it resonate with you when it's like, yes, this is a matter of self-defense? And the answer could be yes. I, I don't think this has to be political. I'm just interested to know how it fits into what we're seeing in the news every day. Sure. And this all comes down 100 percent, George, to training and understanding how to use your firearm, um, how to use it safely, um, how to use it tactically. Those are all very important skills when anybody, whether you're an armed educator or just an armed citizen like many of us, um, uh, those are are huge aspects of firearms training because if you are not prepared to deal with the equipment that you are using to defend your life, um, then you can't use it to defend your life and you may harm other people. But easily, 
as important is understanding the use of force and and what the laws say about um, you know being in fear for your life, um, being in fear of being um, of being injured, uh, and and that is a huge part of what we train at Faster. So we have a use of force module that we train, um, but then we wrap up our, uh, we do a three-day initial training. It's, it's certainly not all of the training they need to get started, but um, that it, it fulfills their insurance requirement. The entire um, half of a day of day three of this three-day training wraps up all of the skills, including that decisional training. Is this a shoot or no shoot uh, scenario? And just about every scenario that an armed um, uh, citizen would encounter, almost everything is a, non sh- is a no-shoot scenario. Really? You really have to. Uh, and, yes. Well, well, and I don't, I don't mean if you, are, um, if you are facing an armed perpetrator, but I'm saying almost every um, disagreement encounter that an armed citizen has. So, you know, if I, if I am an armed citizen... Um, I'm carrying a concealed firearm wherever I am. If somebody yells at me, that is not a place that I'm using my concealed firearm. But what if it's um, really, it's, it's really loud? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. And so these are all of these are all of the things that we teach, and it takes a, it takes a long time to learn this stuff. And you know, I, I wonder um, in the Doloff situation. You know, we know he wasn't properly licensed to carry a firearm um, as an armed security guard, and I'm you know, I'm not speaking in. in favor of licensure, but it, it does um, a, a make me ask the question, what was his level of training? Because this is what I do for a quote-unquote living, um, I, w- I would, um, I, that's the first place I go, what was his level of training? Because when you look at the, um, you know, the Denver Post put out a, a frame-by-frame oh um, gosh, did, of the yeah. video. Yeah. yeah, and if, if a person dissects it frame by frame, and of course, when we're going through a situation, we're not seeing frame right. by it's frame. We're, we're seeing, yeah, 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 yeah. We're seeing it, um, it as it happens yeah. live. Um, but it appears to me that um, that Mr. Keltner was creating some separation from Dolov. He was taking some steps back while not necessarily retreating, like running away. Um, but it also looks like the pepper spray didn't come out until the gun came out. And the pepper spray wasn't being um, um, deployed until you can you can see the slide back on the on the handgun, and so it 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 does cause that question, which I think is a very logical question: um, How could Mr. Doloff have been in fear for his life if all that had happened up until that point was um, a verbal confrontation with him? There's some um, evidence that that Mr. Keltner may have um, slapped him. Yeah, he uh, slapped him ahead of time. Yeah. Um, well, but let's let's break that down. We're talking with Laura Carnell from Faster Colorado, and I think you said your title is Commodore. I can't remember what you said, but it was something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't get to that. No. I'm technically the executive director, okay, executive director of Faster of Colorado. So I, I run the program. Our instructors who are active duty law enforcement run the class. I run the program. Okay, great. And and so let's break that down. If this guy's physically struck or somebody – when you're training these people in the shoot-don't-shoot scenario, someone physically strikes them. Is that the cue then now? It's more than verbal. It's gone physical. It's gone kinetic. Now I can pull the trigger. Are you in fear for your life or serious bodily injury or harm? That, that is what you need to be able to verbalize. And not being in the person 
um, of Mr. Doloff. None of us can say yes, he was, or no, he wasn't in fear. Um, but that fear's got to be reasonable, right? And that's a reasonable it, person's standard. That's not just, in my opinion, as soon as he correct. said, boo, a, a I was in fear. Right, a reasonable person's standard, and it has to be um, fear that this is going to happen imminently. Um, so th- there are a lot of pieces to that. Um, I, I agree with the people who say um, be, because, be, because of the difficulty of, of um, proving um, or documenting or providing evidence of Mr. Doloff's fear of serious bodily injury or harm or death, um, and that that and that that fear was that it would happen imminently, that this absolutely should have gone to uh, to trial. And so I think many people on both sides of this saying yes, he was justified. No, he wasn't justified. Or I don't know whether or not he was justified. I agree with the people who say this really should have gone. Uh, to court, and I heard an earlier show where you talked about this, um, and you know what all of those details were and why it took so dang long. Seventeen months. Um, I mean, if you believe, and the DA yeah, came for, out on Monday and said, "I believe Doloff. He acted in self-defense." She didn't say, "I couldn't just prove." She said, "I believe him." How did it take seventeen months to come to that belief? I mean, if you right. truly believe this guy's not guilty, the government just hung a a lifetime of prison, or at least forty-eight years of it, over this dude's head for seventeen months for nothing. Right, and they initially filed those charges, let's not forget, um, after the 9 News story, after that Denver Post frame-by-frame was already out there. So so when they announced the charges, um, and they knew he was going to be claiming self-defense at that point, so they filed charges based on that information that was out there. And, I mean, a frame-by-frame frame is is pretty pretty good evidence to take a look at. So they filed it after that in, that. Uh, yeah. evidence was already out there. So what happened? What really bothered me, though, George, in, in uh, the DA statement, um, you know, she talked about what they were doing and what their decision was. She said, however, without provocation, Mr. Keltner verbally threatened and physically assaulted yeah, Mr. Doloff and was quote, the initial yeah. aggressor. And by the way, you, you get to yell at people without being shot. Um, and In America, they, that's you know, true, yeah. Yeah, in America, (laughs) usually. Um, But is it is it up to the DA who had all of that evidence and filed charges anyway, or is that should that really be up to a jury um, of Mr. Doloff's peers uh, to make that determination? And again, I think a lot of people are saying, "Gosh, um, with all of that evidence out there at the time of uh, filing charges, does it make sense that?" this should have gone to trial. And I think a lot of people, myself included, um, believe that, that that should have gone to trial. I think that um, when you look at this, and I'll address that part in a minute, when you look at the frame-by-frame frame or even the live action, you know, the real-time sort of thing that took place there, d- does Dolov's response seem to you to be consistent with the training that you guys put out to the 250-plus, and it's growing every year, uh, of educators in terms of self-defense, use of force, all that? Yeah, and it, that's a really gray area question um, because we weren't there, and the perception of the person going through it has a lot to do with that. Um, do you teach them headshot or center mass? Because this was a headshot at feet away. Yeah, yeah, we 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 teach stopping the threat, um, okay, and stopping good. stopping the threat means um, incapacitating them in the easiest way possible, which is center body mass. Um, it, it, it's if you think about it this way, law enforcement officers are teaching this class 
and it's the same module essentially that they use to teach law enforcement. So it is stopping the threat, and the easiest way to do that is center body mass. It's the easiest uh, place to hit. We absolutely do not train headshots. Um, it, there are there would be very very um, uh, a, a very small small. Uh, uh, percentage of situations that would require something like that, very similar to um, what law enforcement would be taught. You, you've probably heard um, this too, by the way, but I, I've had in officer-involved shooting things questions, even from the media, like, why couldn't they shoot him in the arm with the gun? Or why couldn't they shoot him in the leg? And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is not okay. TV, man. This isn't like trick shooting. Like, Bow! I shot the gun out of his hand and we were able to apprehend him. It's just not how it works. Right. Right. That, that's the other thing we hear a lot about. Why, why can't you just shoot the gun out of his hand? Um, the, the, the goal of having armed staff on K-12 campuses is to stop killers from murdering children, from murdering staff members. That is the goal. And so when you look at that as the goal, um, how do we best stop the killer? And those would be um, um, shots that are in the center of the body mass. Um, again, just like law enforcement is taught when they are um, taught to stop a threat. Well, Laura Carno, I cannot thank you enough for bringing us up to speed on all the self-defense stuff. And I, and I appreciate too, by the way, your hesitancy to jump in and say, absolutely what he did was not, or was self-defense because you're right. We weren't there. And I try to picture how quickly things devolved from whatever was going on between Lee Keltner and the media person and this guy and how quickly they had to react. But at the end of the day, if you look at that picture, the picture right before Lee Keltner's life is is wiped off the face of the earth by this guy, um, there's distance between them. The bear spray has come out. As you pointed out, it looks like it's coming out after the gun is coming out. Um, it's just tough to see. But I'll address when we cut away for a break. I'll come back, and I hope you'll listen. We'll address the, the issue that you said. I think this ought to go to a jury. I agree, but not the same jury you think. Not the pettit jury, but the grand jury. We'll talk about that more. Laura, thank you, and I will see you later today for sure. You sure You sure will. Talk to you later. All right. See you, Laura Carno. Laura Carno, executive director slash commodore of Faster Colorado. You can check them out at FasterColorado.com. Tell all your educator friends about it. When we come back, I'll address some of that stuff. And take your calls on this. What did you hear? What do you think? 303-696-1971. George Brockler filling in for the Godfather. Peter Boyles right here on 710KNUS. George Brockler here on 710 KNUS. Uh, my thanks to Laura Carno, the executive director slash Commodore of Faster Colorado. Uh, great conversation. We ended her at the bottom of the hour with a discussion of what she saw in the frame by frame and the real time playing of that Doloff uh, Lee Keltner interaction that led to Lee Keltner's uh, death by being shot in the face by Doloff. And uh, there were some really important things that I think came out of there. One, they don't train to shoot in the head ever. Uh, it's usually center mass. It's stop the threat, whatever that means. And at a distance of several feet, of course, he pulled the trigger and I think shot Lee Keltner through the eye. Um, but if you're out there and you've gone through firearms training that includes use of force, I'd love to get your reaction to what, not only what uh, Laura said, but what you saw in that video. Does what Doloff did and what he claims to have done, is that consistent with your training? And I leave open the possibility that you call in at 303-696-1971 and say, Yes. And, and Laura was a bit tepid. And I appreciate this about coming out and saying, no, this does not look right. Um, she talked about the things that seemed like factors to be considered. 
but I think in that moment, it's hard to know. But what did you, what do you think about that if you're firearms trained? Give us that call, 303-696-1971. The other thing I said I would follow up on is Laura had said, and there's a lot of people, e- even on the wall of uh, hate slash love here, that have said this should have gone to a jury because we just don't know and there's enough evidence there. I do appreciate the idea that we want to see what a jury would do, but I cannot emphasize enough, and I do not second-guess Beth on the decision in this way, and that's Beth McCandier for Denver. There are two prongs that guide prosecutors in moving forward, and remember, prosecutors are the most powerful players in the criminal justice system, and with the pointing of their bony little fingers can start the machinery of government against you to take away your name, your treasure, potentially your freedom, uh, just on their word alone. And there are obviously safeguards that exist in the, in the court system, but it can't be at the end of the day that you just wantonly say, I accuse you of this, and in your year, year and a half later trial, when the jury acquits, we go, hey, the system worked. That would suck, right, if that was the standard. Instead, what we say to prosecutors is you got to have a good faith basis to believe that the person you're accusing of a crime committed that crime. That's one. And two, you have to have a reasonable likelihood of success at trial. If at any point, at any point, the prosecutor believes they lack one or both of those things, we want them to stop what they're doing at the moment and dismiss the case. If there isn't evidence to bring it back, then you get rid of it. And so I respect the idea that we want a jury to weigh in on this. But let me tell you, it doesn't have the Pettit jury is the one that uh, seated 12 people that would have decided Matthew Doloff's uh, fate on this. Um, but there's the grand jury. And while I'm a fan of using the grand jury in only the most limited of circumstances in the state of Colorado, and it's designed that way, it's not designed as our main charging implement. And in some states, especially the East Coast, the grand jury indicts on every single charge. We don't do that in Colorado. We do an information, which means the DA says, I believe probable cause exists to blank. But we do have the grand jury. And while I promised every grand jury I picked in the eight years I was DA that I would never bring to them something I didn't have the guts to make the decision on myself. And we've seen what that looks like in the Elijah McClain cases out of the AG's office. We'll see how those turn out. Um, I would never do that. This, though, is a bit different. And given what Laura said and what many of you have said in text and, and on the, on phone calls here, What I could see doing in this circumstance is saying, man, this one's a close call. And even if I believe it before I move forward, before I rush to charge, I'm going to invite representatives from the community. And the the DA's office in Denver has a standing grand jury every single year. They last for a year. Uh, I'm going to bring this to the grand jury and, and tell them straight up, here's the law. Here are the facts. And if you can't get a grand jury to say, I agree. This was not self-defense and charge, even though the affirmative defense doesn't actually play into their consideration much at all. You go to them and say, this is what I want you to consider. If you can't get past them, that's probably an indication. But I am just as a matter of even in this case, as a matter of due process and protections for the community, I don't ever, ever, never want to invite a prosecutor to go to trial with the idea that "Mm, not sure or I'm not, I'm not convinced, but let's see what a jury says. I think that would be horrible for our system of justice. We need to have as many checks and balances against the man as possible. And making the man, and I use that in quotes because, of course, there are female elected DAs everywhere. Um, I would say that uh, I want them 
to feel that internal compulsion to only act when they truly believe it. And I've had people ask me over the years, have you ever tried someone that you weren't sure if they did it? Not a single moment. I've never even tried someone where I had a doubt. Sometimes I've had doubt on, man, do we have the horses here to get this thing done? I think we do. And then as the case goes on, I mean, listen, if I were in the middle of a trial, and I think this happened with some misdemeanors back in the day, and there was ever testimony by a witness that made me think for a moment, oh, good Lord, I don't think this person did it. I would say dump the case. In fact, when I was the senior county court person in Jeffco, there was a trial that at halftime, which is when the prosecution rests, a prosecutor came to me, young prosecutor, and said, what do you think? And I said, dismiss this pig. Get rid of this thing. I don't I don't believe it anymore. Let's go. And so they did. And and that's what you want as an extra check on this. But what I want to hear from you, and we've got callers on the line right now at 303-696-1971, is if you've been through this training, what do you think about this? Josh, you're on 710 KNUS. Yeah. What do you think, sir? Well, um, every uh, 25-year law enforcement uh, slash security veteran and uh, NRA pistol instructor, um, just based upon the facts that I was able to see without seeing uh, all the case filings and everything else that goes with it, um, it did not appear to me to be a uh, legitimate shoot. And why do you say that? What are the factors you considered in coming to that conclusion? Well, it was pretty much more what your previous caller, um, your previous guest mentioned. The Lord fact Carter, that yeah. Due to the uh, uh, um, situations or situation that he was faced with, it did not appear as though he was in a situation by which he could uh, uh, legitimately articulate that he was in fear for his life. If if that's true, and I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm saying if that's true, did he even have the right at that moment to pull his gun, which even if he doesn't pull the trigger, would have been felony menacing unless he was lawfully able to do it. Could he have pulled his gun at that point, just not pulled the trigger, or it's no, if you're pulling the gun, you're pulling the trigger? Uh yeah, typically uh, within the state of Colorado, I'm sure you're aware of this as a prosecutor, uh, you're able to meet force with equal force. So uh, if the gentleman at that point that he had pepper spray pulled on him uh, would have been justified in drawing his firearm uh, to ward the individual not to discharge the pepper spray, because once the pepper spray is discharged um, due to his being incapacitated probably visually, that also puts his firearm at risk of being uh, taken from him. What a great and point, then, Josh. At that point, then, do you think this changes over to a situation where he was authorized to pull the trigger once that pepper spray comes out and he's concerned about that? That's a great point. Um, actually, he's authorized to uh, warn the individual off by drawing his firearm to uh, let the individual know that of what the possible consequences of him discharging that pepper spray, but not until the pepper spray has actually been discharged could it potentially be a situation where he could be justified in, in using and deadly force. Did, did you see him use the firearm then in, in those frame-by-frames before the pepper spray was discharged? Uh, that was the appearance that I had. Um, once again, uh, without complete access to all yeah, yeah, uh, sure. aspects, you, you probably have complete access to every video that exists. I mean, I think everybody's seen the video on the frame-by-frame. Frame. Right, right. And in that, it, from my perspective, it did not appear uh, that he... It appeared that he used his firearm prior to a time by which he would be justified in doing so. Josh, that's a great phone call. One thing I will say, and thank you for this, sir, um, is... The standard is not meet force with equal force. Under the law, it's the, a reasonable amount of force. 
Uh, and, and that reasonableness could be equal. That's true. But it doesn't have to be. It could be disparate based on the reasonable apprehension of the use of force or something else. So it doesn't say you can only pull the trigger when you think someone's going to pull the trigger. It's not that kind of force equals force thing. The standard is really that reasonable degree of force necessary and, and lethal force could be that force if you're in fear of imminent, imminent. That's not like a day from now, a minute from now, an hour from now. That's imminent right away, death or uh, grievous bodily injury. Uh, we're going to keep with the phone lines. Josh's line is open, 303-696-1971. Arnie, you're on 710. What do you think? George, I took the uh, my concealed carry class a long time ago. Yeah. And um, and one of the exercises that we did at the, at the very end of each day was do a um, – from your holster draw and, and fire three shots – at a profile target, and um, we were always taught then that it's and you had to do it. You had to fire three shots, yeah. And it was always two shots to the body, one shot to the head. And um, by the way, I, I I was able to win that competition two days in a row. I could get my three shots off and hit the target. Wow! In three three quarters of a second. Don't mess with Arnie. And, and eventually, believe it or not, I got beat by my son when he did it in point six three of a second. Apparently, don't mess with Arnie's son either. Arnie, when you watch the the video real time in this in the frame by frame, and we just talked with Josh about this, what are you seeing there that is inconsistent or consistent with your training? Well, you know, it's um, I looked at this as a this is a protest. It's a protest deal where people are going to disagree. It's not. It's not gun. It's not the gunfight at the OK Corral, and so um, I think, I think in situations like this, I believe that that everybody should have to appear before a jury. And whether even they're if the DA doesn't believe it, even if the DA doesn't believe it, yes. Yeah, that's because, tough, man. That's tough. That means there's a like. Listen, what if I believe like it's you? Let's say it's Arnie or Arnie's son. And you engage in some sort of even in your house. I mean, because there's a law about self-defense in your house to make my day law. And I believe you that you were in the position to to benefit from that law that protects you from blah, blah, blah. And I believe it. Should we still then say, man, we got to gin up the system and put you in front of 12 people and make you roll the dice on life in prison? Well, that's I, I say that's the chance you take if you're going to haul a uh, if you're going to haul a pistol to a, a protest. I'm just saying in, have, in any I, situation, because like in your house, I'm saying give, give me the situation where if you pull the trigger and kill another person, it's in your doorway, it's in your home, right? Should the DA mm -hmm. then say, hey, every person that gets shot and killed, I don't care if you're a cop or a plumber or a teacher, you are going to stand before a jury of twelve to be cleared. Is that the system that we want? Well, there, there may have to be uh, there may have to be some sort of preliminary type thing. Let me give you another example. When uh, my uh, my time of duty in the Air Force, yep, um, I was a uh, launch control officer in Minuteman Two ICBMs in North Dakota. I saw you in the <laughs> opening scenes of War Games. You were brilliant. <laughs> out at the uh, out at the launch out at the launch facility, if I went out there. And went inside the gate. Outside the gate, right at the facility, is a big sign about three feet square that said, "The use of deadly force is authorized." 
does that mean that I could shoot anybody that came up to that road without asking them anything? Yeah, I don't know, because that sign is not your directive. That's really just a notice. I think you probably had some increased training and probably some other uh, guidance from the commander as to when to do that. I don't think you just walk around and go, kabam, you know? <laughs> I know people People actually thought that, yeah. though. Hey, uh, uh, Arnie, great call, by the way. Thank you. We've got to cut away for a break. Love that you listen. Love that you called. Chuck? Everybody else on hold, and Arnie's line is open at 303-696-1971. We'll get to you when we come back here, but until that time, you're listening to me. My name's George. I'm filling in for a guy named Pete right here on a radio station called 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here in a room that is 10 degrees colder than the outside here at 710 KNUS. I am ruining this T-shirt right here. It is so freaking cold. 303-696-1971. 303-696-1971. Want to get to the phone lines as promised with uh, Chuck on there, but I know what Chuck wants to talk about. And so we'll shift gears just a little bit here until we get to the, until we have to punch out. Uh, yesterday, um, there was a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, uh, day two of this, for um, who's going to be Justice uh, Brown Jackson. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And one of the questions that was asked was from Marsha Blackburn, a Repu- Oh, you know what? Billy just corrected me. We cannot do anything until until we get. And I've said this now for the last few days. You can't move forward with without two things in the morning. One, Billy's report, the Thorpe report, and two, maybe the smarter part of the entire day is Alpine Planning Group. And we are being joined by Gabe right now. Gabe, how are you? I'm I'm well, sir. <laughs> Billy gave me a hard cut off, so I'll keep this quick Forgive for you. Forgive me, man. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, no worries. Actually, starting off on the red this morning. Currently, have the Dow Jones down Ooh. 277. Uh, Nasdaq is down 173, and the S and P is off 37. Oil is up today, but uh, as kind of Brian alluded to last week, after the big recovery, you'll continue to see sort of the seesaw market. I think that brings up two things with our client, George. Um, first is, is we've had a lot of people, hey, should we harvest some cash? Yeah, right, right. Um, you, you know, get off the sideline, kind of weather the volatility a little bit. And, and the question is going to be different for each client. Um, I think the second thing is, is having a little bit more active portfolio. You, you've seen a lot of names that have kind of lagged the last few years. Lockheed Martin, Kroger, John Deere actually hit its fourth consecutive record high with what's going on with, wow. it, with the farming and fertilizer situation. So there's a lot out there. I think it's a good time to be working with a partner. Um, if your listeners have some questions, want a second opinion, uh, we're always happy to sit down with them here at Alpine Planning Group. Brian, Amy, myself, we're standing by. Gabe, quick question. I know you've got the hard cut, but I do want to ask this question of you. When someone comes to you in this market at this time with all the craziness across the globe and all that other stuff, and they say to you, hey, man, I'm concerned. What is it you're telling them about, listen, I share these same concerns? Or are you saying, look, I'm an optimist long term. Here's what I'm thinking about the market. I think there's a difference between being optimist long term and, and, and being able to meet your short term needs. So I think, oh, you know, without getting too, too, too deep into it, it's your ability to, to take risk and your willingness to take risk. And those are kind of two different conversations. Um, and, and that's actually an exercise we go through with all our clients. To, you know, we don't want them losing sleep at night, but we also don't want them running out of money long term. That's just smart advice right there. Alpine Planning Group is a comprehensive financial planning firm committed to improving your long-term financial success. Investing is a matter of trust. That is so true. And they are prepared to earn yours. Call them at 303-843-0918 today. Gabe, as always, thanks, man. 
All right, we're done, Bill. You have a good one. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA SIPC and registered investment advisor. Alpine Planning Group and Woodbury Financial Services, Inc. are not affiliated entities. 14 West Dry Creek Circle, Littleton, Colorado, 80120. Well, that music tells you something. I done run us out of time. We are going to be joined on the other side by a super smart guy named Ted Trimpa. You stay tuned right here. My name's George. I'm filling in for Pete Boyles. This is 710 KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.